Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 2 through 16. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these you will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into the temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated as we... Uh, continue our time. I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to come, to gather, to worship you. And this morning, Lord, we ask that you would tune our hearts to sing of your grace, tune our hearts to know your grace, to live out of your grace, because your grace is sufficient. God, you are so good to us. And as we've already prayed, we ask for forgiveness for the times that uh, we forget how good you are, how you have blessed us. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this rich text that we get to dive into this morning. I pray that, um, that your Holy Spirit would guide, would teach, would convict, would encourage. Lord, that you would lead us, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome again to those of you who are here and those of you who are joining us online. My name is Will Freischlag. I'm on staff here. If I don't know you, I would love to get to know you and, um, and help you connect within our body. We are coming now to the end of the book of 1 Timothy, this first letter that Paul wrote to his disciple Timothy. And we've, um, we'll be jumping into 2 Timothy next week, and we'll take 2 Timothy all the way up to Easter uh, and uh, then we'll jump into Palm Sunday and walk through Holy Week. 
Um, and then this past Wednesday, we had a great group of folks who gathered for Ash Wednesday, and we had a, a good Ash Wednesday service here. All the students came down from upstairs, which was such a blessing anytime we get all of our students here with us. Um, and so there are uh, this, the, we enter this season of Lent, this 40 days between now and Easter. And now there are actually 46 days from Ash Wednesday to Easter, and that's because the Sundays are feast days or they're celebration days, so they're, they're not really counted in that, uh, in that 40 count. And so as we gather, especially this Sunday, this first Sunday of Lent, we gather to celebrate. We gather to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, um, and every time that we gather, hopefully we are celebrating the hope and the joy and the peace that comes from knowing Christ and knowing and celebrating his resurrection. Um, Katie read for us this entire passage, uh, these, these 14 verses, but I want to focus in on verse 6 uh, to sort of guide uh, our way through the text. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and open to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and kind of keep your thumb there. Um, if you're taking notes, I'll be throwing out a few other scripture verses you can take note. We'll have them up on the screen, uh, but try to follow along. And so uh, we start with this phrase in verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. What's interesting is that we see Paul in other letters, and other uh, letters that he wrote, he uses godliness and contentment uh, separately in a, in a few other different places, like in 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, where he says that we train for godliness. We saw this passage a few weeks ago. We train in godliness because godliness is of value in every way because it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. And then in Philippians 4, we see that he says... He has this great discourse about, I've learned in every circumstance what it means to be content, all right? And so, again, we see godliness and we see contentment and Paul talking about each of those, but here is the only place that he combines these two words side by side, godliness with contentment. And so we, we can see what it means that we can look at these terms taken apart, and so I want to maybe define the two terms separately, and then we'll bring them back together. So we'll start first with godliness. This word godliness is used nine times in 1 and 2 Timothy. Nine times. It's obviously a focus for Paul to teach Timothy what it means to be godly, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so when I think of godliness, I also think of Christ-likeness like we have in our vision statement. We're a spiritually hungry people seeking to turn from sin, become like Christ, and share God's transforming word with the world. And so we think of godliness or Christ-likeness. Oftentimes we, we think about it and we stop short and we think of it just as Christian character. We think about it as a list of virtues, right? But it's really so much deeper than that. One Bible dictionary defines godliness as being devout. And it denotes a piety that is characterized by a Godward attitude that does what is pleasing to God. And so essentially, godliness is this. It's a personal attitude towards God that results in actions that are pleasing to God. A personal attitude that leads to devotion, that leads to action. All right? But it, 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 it is always devotion in action. The practice or the training in godliness, it's an exercise, it's a discipline that focuses our hearts and our minds on God. And then from that God-focused heart, that God-focused mind, then we, uh, then we can move into what we know as Christian character or these virtues. Um, again, too often we try to develop, we try to work on uh, and develop this Christian character without taking time to really develop a God-centered devotion first. We try to please God without taking the time to walk with him, to talk with him, to rest content in his love and in his grace. And we'll come back to that idea in just a little bit. 
Lastly, godliness is not like a spiritual luxury for super Christians, all right? This is, this is a call for all of us who say that we are followers of Jesus. We, we are all called to godliness. It's both a privilege and it's a duty of every Christian to pursue godliness and to train ourselves to be godly. Thankfully, we don't need any special talent or special equipment because God is the one who equips us. Second Peter 1.3, that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Holy Spirit guides us. So then again, godliness is a devotion to God that results in a life that is pleasing to him. We see also in the Bible, and especially in this passage, that, that godliness is defined as it is contrasted with godlessness. And so we're going to look at this passage and, and pull out a few ways that Paul contrasts the godless and the godly. First of all, with regards to the teachings of Jesus. The godless reject the teachings of Jesus, but the godly keep his commands. You don't have to look very far in the Bible uh, to find places where the godless, for the, where those who have trampled underfoot the teachings of Jesus, those who deny the gospel, it doesn't end well for them, right? There's, the, the Bible is, is replete with condemnations for those who deny and trample the word of God. But the godly uphold God's word. They keep the commands of Jesus. Paul says that the, from the teachings of Jesus and from the keepings of his commands flow godliness. As it again then pertains to, to virtues, what we see as characteristics. Uh, the godless, we have this list in verses 4 through 5. The godless are conceited, they're quarrelsome, they have an unhealthy craving for controversy which produces envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction. But the godly, in verse 11, the godly pursue righteousness. They pursue godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Also in this passage, Paul calls us to fight the good fight of faith. And we know that our fight is not against flesh and blood and earthly things. Our fight is not against other people on Facebook. But Paul tells us that, he, he tells us in Ephesians that our fight is bigger. Our fight is in the heavenly places. We, we fight a spiritual battle. The godless, they, they crave and they pursue controversy. They pursue quarrels and dissension. Or sorry, the godless uh, crave that. The godly pursue gentleness, peace, patience, love. The fruit of the spirit, they pursue godliness. Again, it's way too easy in our world to find people who crave controversy. It seems like every other viral video that you see is somebody yelling at somebody else or somebody trying to pick a fight with somebody else. It's just all over uh, our, our social media threads, you know, dissension, slander, f and friction. It's all around us. We're going to talk about contentment here in just a second, in the second half. But uh, I find that it's really hard to be content when... All that's on our TV, when all that's on our social media feed is dissension and slander and friction. Uh, it might be one good reason why it'd, it'd be uh, a good idea to give up social media for Lent, right? Take a break. Uh, again, this is, this is something that, it, that really, I think, uh, is inversely proportionate to our ability to be content. Now, what I'm not saying is, is that we can't be critical of what's going on around us, it, I'm not saying that we can't be critical of injustice around us, of evil around us, because we are called to champion causes that bring about justice and reconciliation. But again, we have to discern what God's calling us really to fight. Uh, it, it even happens within the church. 
within the faith. If, if our first reaction is to, is to criticize, if our first reaction is to be critical and list all the things that we disagree with, then I need to encourage you and exhort you and challenge you to pray that God would soften your critical heart. Again, the Bible does tell us to test everything against Scripture because there are false teachers. And so we pray for God's Holy Spirit to, to guide us in truth, right? Because God's word is truth, is what it says. And so the godly pursue this truth with patience, compassion, and yes, discernment. Again, because as we turn to truth, the godless are deprived of truth. Conversely, as I mentioned, the godly hold fast to truth. Hold fast to truth. John 16, 13, the Holy Spirit guides us to truth. Um, as followers of Jesus, we're called to be children of the light. We're called to be people of the truth. And again, we have the truth. This is not something that we have to wander around wondering, wondering what does God say? What is, what is the truth? We have it. Um, and so many of us maybe need to just start by sitting down and reading God's word. That might be a great place to start. Hopefully, uh, during the season of Lent, you're able to, uh, to instill and bring in practices, spiritual disciplines that are pointing you to truth, that are pointing you to God. The Bible is also called a sword, right? But it's not a sword to be fighting other people, to be slamming over somebody's head, uh, to, be, uh, to be stirring up controversy. Um, but when we see that Paul calls the word of God a sword, again, remember in the context of Ephesians, he's talking about a spiritual warfare, right? This is, this is the sword that defeats the enemy's lies, all right? Um, I was talking to a friend just this past Friday morning at, at Bible study, and he was talking about how, he, how he's been feeling uh, discontent, really. He's been feeling discouraged, and that, that the things that he's doing, even in his time reading the word, he just feels like he comes away with, with a sense of, I'm not getting it, I'm not doing it right, um, I'm not doing it enough, uh, it's not affecting my life enough, right? These, these sort of feelings, even when he's engaging with the word, still feels sort of this oppressive lie that, that is disqualifying, right? And again, this is a, this is a, a classic uh, play from the enemy's playbook to disqualify, to discourage, right? To say, no, 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 you, you don't really know what you're doing. When you're reading this, you're not really understanding you're not really doing that enough. You're not even really following Jesus that well. So just, just don't worry about it. Just give it up, right? Satan constantly wants to discourage, to disprove, and to bring us to discontentment. So again, uh, as Doug talked this last Wednesday in our Ash Wednesday service, how does Jesus combat Satan's lies in the desert? With the word, with the truth. And so we hold fast to the truth. We'll finish up this, this side of the chart uh, by talking about gains. This verse, verse 6, that I've chosen to focus on this morning, this godliness with contentment, it is, its immediate context is within this discourse that, that Paul is talking about wealth. He's talking about contentment. He's talking about riches, right? So, so practically speaking, uh, this godliness with contentment sits in this immediate context. And so we can't skip over this part, and even though Doug preached this sermon on the second, uh, this last part of chapter 16 a few weeks ago, uh, we see that the godless, they love money. They pursue earthly gains, but the godly pursue heavenly gains. Again, verse 10, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. We've probably all heard this verse, but I think a lot of times we hear it as misquoted, as money is the root of all evil, right? If 
but really we've got to get it right because it says the love of money is the root of all evil. If when we're, it, it's when we're in love with our money, when we're in love with our possessions, our earthly gains, that we're in very real danger of many pains, as Paul says. And we know that Jesus talked a lot about money, about how no one can serve two masters, they'll either serve God or money. He called his followers to pursue heavenly gains. Again, we looked at 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 a couple weeks ago, um, where it says to store up treasures in heaven as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Doug mentioned this, but, but it's worth mentioning again that Paul is no ascetic, for he, he wants believers to enjoy the good things that God grants us, as long as that enjoyment is in the context of really trusting God instead of trusting riches. Those who are rich do not really trust God unless they are generous with their money, helping the needy, eagerly distributing what God has given, and they are rich in good works. Verse 18 says, do good and be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share. A generous heart that leads to good works, showing that a person puts their hope in God. Again, so we fix our hope on God, and in so doing, that affects our contentment and our generosity. If those who are rich in God, who are rich in hope in God, then they do not believe that a happy future depends on having riches, all right? Because they are convinced that God is the one who will sustain them in the future, come what may. And thus they are freed to love others and contribute with financial needs. Um, so again, I, I mentioned this last Wednesday in our Ash Wednesday service. Doug walked us through a passage in Luke uh, where Jesus is tempted in the desert by Satan. Um, Satan tempts Jesus with uh, the, the temptation of fame, of provisions, of spectacle. Satan wanted to instill doubt in Jesus' mind that God is good and that God would actually provide for his son. Um, and he runs, again, he runs that same playbook with us today because it's really the only one he's got of, of lies, of twisting the truth. So boiled down, I think that one of Satan's go-to schemes is that of discontentment. That of discontentment, that of questioning the goodness of God, questioning God's provision, right? We don't have to look much further than the second page of the Bible of Adam and Eve in the garden. And the lie is like, like, do you really believe that God's going to actually take care of you? That he's going to do what he said he is going to do? That, look, look at this tree, you're not allowed to eat from this. He's obviously holding out on you. Is God really good? Did God really say this? Again, so Satan uses our discontentment to wiggle in. Finds the places where we are discontent in life and he wiggles in to breed sin in those areas. He tempts us to compare, to covet, to envy. Um, I know I've recently felt pretty envious of, of some friends and family members who have gotten to go to Mexico. Uh, even my own parents just a couple weeks ago. Right? This has kind of been like one of the longest winters or January, February's ever. I saw a, a meme this last week that somebody posted said, I'm giving up winter for Lent. <laughs> I said, that's perfect. I was like, I'm so over it. And I, and I, like, born and raised here, I love winter. I love Colorado. But I have found myself very discontent uh, with it recently. And so then when, you know, when family members go to Mexico or, or these sort of things, it, it reminded me of a trip that we got to take uh, back in 2007 or 8, I think it was. Uh, we got to go on a cruise with our whole family. 
and we went from San Diego down to, down to Mazatlan, Puerto Vallarta, and Cabo, and, and it was fantastic. The water was smooth. It was a great cruise uh, otherwise. And so every port we, we went to, we would stop, and we would take these excursions, and it was a great time. But there was one, uh, one uh, stop that we made where, where we said, you know what? We just need to relax. We just need to hang out. We just need to chill. We've been going, going, going. There's constant activities on a cruise ship if you've ever been on one. And said, today we just need to go to the beach and sit and relax. And so uh, I remember our whole family was there, but I, there was a, there's a picture, especially my dad and I, just sitting there in a beach chair. You know, we got a corona, and we're just relaxing. And it is good, right? And you're able to take a deep breath and breathe it in. And, and all the while, there's, there's uh, you know, the local vendors walking up and down the beach trying to sell you things. And I speak a little Spanish, and so I was engaging with them a little bit, and it was kind of fun to talk to them a little bit. Um, but, but we just kept saying no, no, no. And my dad especially, he was like, I need something better than just saying no to these people. I feel really rude that I'm just like, no, go away, no, go away, no, go away. And I said, I said how about this? Here, here's a phrase, a very simple Spanish phrase that you can say, it's kind of all-encompassing, like, you know what, I'm good, I'm good right here, I don't really need anything else, I'm just going to relax and just breathe in this good life right here. And the phrase is, estoy contento aquí, estoy contento aquí. And so that was like the one Spanish phrase that he grabbed onto the rest of the time. And it came to this like theme phrase for the rest of the trip, estoy contento aquí, right? And, and I thought about this last week, not just because it sounds like content, contento, right? We do have some Spanish words that, that do that. Um, kind of like English, but but Engl- uh, but Spanish, like English, has a couple different words for happy or for content, right? Excuse me, we have happy and we have content. Uh, Spanish has feliz and contento, right? Um, and, and like I said, when we really boil down the difference between happiness and contentment, we see that happiness is kind of this surface level emotion, right? But contentment really drives and runs a lot deeper. And so I think about that, estoy contento aquí. It was this, this resting in, this, this relaxing in the blessings of, of a beautiful day sitting next to the beach. Again, I love the mountains. I'm not crazy about the beach, but that was a good day. And so I think about that phrase sometimes through life. Even just the other night, I was sitting in my house and, and, and looking out into the dark and uh, seeing the stars. And it, that phrase came back to my mind, estoy contento aquí. I am happy here. I am content right here. How often do we just take a break to, to, to count our blessings, to be thankful for what we have, to just pause and look around and say, this is good. This is good. Estoy contento aquí. That might be the only thing you remember this morning. And you know what? That's okay. And so how do we find contentment? How do we grow in contentment? I want to highlight these three things that Paul tells us to focus on uh, that drive us to rich contentment in God. First, we're to remember the provider, to be content with our possessions. In another letter to the Philippians, Paul teaches at length about contentment. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In every, any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Or from the author of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. It says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? 
Again, Paul says, be content with what you have. If we have food and clothing, Paul says, we ought to be content with that, right? With just the bare necessities like Baloo, right? But no, we want to be like the kings and queens of the jungle, like King Louis in our own palaces. We're not content with the bare necessities. I think it's when our luxuries become our necessities that our contentment is in jeopardy. Again, when our luxuries become our necessities, our contentment is in jeopardy. Again, Jesus in, in Luke 12, 15, he says, Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so we live open-handedly. We live generously. Saying, God, you give and you take away. You have given so generously to me, I will give generously to others. We also know that our Father gives good gifts. In Matthew 7, 11, it says, Which one of you, or 9 through 11, which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? But again, too often, Satan tempts us with a lie of discontentment. Are you sure God's really going to take care of you? What if God is holding out on you? So again, we fill our minds and hearts with the truth of Scripture that combats these lies. And we fill our mouths with songs like we've sung this morning that say, all I need you will provide just like you always have. There's manna for today, but when it's gone, I know you're not. You're my hope and my stay. Again, contentment with what we have is vital to our spiritual health. So we can trust the provider. We also trust the architect. And we're content in our position God is the architect, he's the author of all life, he's sovereign over all things. I came across, across this quote from John Calvin this last week that says, Those who are godly, again we're talking about godliness, those who are godly understand God to be the author of every good. And so if anything oppresses or if anything is lacking, immediately they, the godly, run to God's protection waiting for help from him. Because the godly are persuaded that God is good and merciful, they rest in him with perfect trust. And they do not doubt that in his loving kindness, that is in God's covenantal faithfulness to us, he will provide a remedy for all their ills. And so we find and we learn and we grow in contentment when we trust God's sovereignty in our lives. When we trust that God is in control, we grow in having contentment with the place that God has us. This might be in, in life, this might be in vocation. I know often many of us struggle with contentment in our vocation. Uh, this might even be within our, our place in the body of Christ. Sometimes we, we struggle with contentment of how God has gifted us or, or where God is using us. Contentment, um, we can also struggle with that, uh, I think of students, uh, you know, being in college. Sometimes we can struggle with contentment of Going to class, I'm still, I'm still going to school, I'm still struggling sometimes with contentment of like being in school, I'm like, I'm ready to be done, I just want to be done. Um, but, but having contentment, knowing that God has us where we are, and that he's got a plan. Um, he has a plan, he's working a plan, we can trust where you are, you can trust where you are, knowing um, that he has that plan and he's working that plan. Again, I, I think a lot of times uh, we... We confuse contentment and, and we turn it into complacency. 
uh, and it, it can't be that uh, by any means. We don't just get a kickback and put it on cruise control in whatever season we end. Contentment means trusting God with where he has and listening and waiting and discerning and guiding the next steps. Uh, it's, it's not outside of God's will for you to have goals and have aspirations and have dreams. That, that doesn't conflict with contentment. I think you can be content with where God has you and still be uh, longing for uh, and, and wanting God to continue to guide you to more. Um, so, so my prayer is that you would ask God to bring to mind any specific areas in your life in which you are discontent with what you have or discontent with where the Lord has you. Pray with uh, King David as he did in Psalm 119. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Life in your ways. Uh, the last point I want to make um, is that we are to abide in the Redeemer. This is similar, maybe a continuation of the last point, but I want us to think about it a little bit more in the big picture. We learn to be content when we trust God as our provider, as the architect, the sovereign one working in our lives. But we also find contentment when we abide in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, when we abide in his grace. When we live deeply in the grace and the redemption that comes from him. Again, because of his death and his resurrection, we know that the final outcome is secure. And we're fighting a battle that he's already won. We may not always know what he's doing, but we know what he's done. We can face tomorrow, for tomorrow is in his hands, and eternity is in his hands. When the sea is raging, the Holy Spirit is our help, and the Holy Spirit fixes our eyes on Jesus Christ, and we can say it as well. And so, I'm not sure what you're going through today or this week or what you came in this morning with. Um, Again, but my hope and my prayer is that God's grace would fill you. The Holy Spirit would, would just fill you so deeply with the love and the grace of God, the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Um, maybe you're battling relational brokenness uh, or discontentment in relationships. Um, again, I know there are so many students I was talking with, Megan and, and, and Cole, uh, this last week, students who are um, having a really hard time at home, broken home lives. Um, there's many of us who are going through illness or physical brokenness. But again, when we rest in God's all-sufficient grace, we find contentment because his grace is made perfect in our weakness. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more in my weaknesses. For when I am weak, you are strong. God's grace brings contentment in Christ. We flip back a couple pages to 2 Corinthians 9, 8. That God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency, that's the same word, sufficiency here as contentment in First. Uh, Timothy, sufficiency in all things at all times that you may abound in every good work. So again, this is the secret to being content. To learn and accept that we live daily by God's unmerited favor given through Christ and that we can respond to any and every situation by his divine power and through the Holy Spirit. We can experience the sufficiency of God's grace, of God's provision for our needs 
in every circumstance. We can trust and believe that God will indeed meet every need, all our material needs, all our emotional needs, all our relational needs, as he works in and all things. So this is why Paul says that godliness with contentment is great gain, because the godly person has found what the greedy or envious or discontented person always searches for but never finds. He has found satisfaction and rest for his soul. And this makes a difference to our our witness when we leave here, right? Contentment is one of the most distinguishing traits of the godly person because the godly person has their heart focused on God rather than on the worry of their possessions or their position or their power. Contentment is a gift of God and a result of his grace, a result of his strength. And so the glory belongs to him alone for such an experience. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up as we finish. So again, I asked at the beginning, why do we, why do we, uh, why does Paul set godliness with contentment? Essentially, a pursuit of godliness and holiness without the contentment of knowing Christ as the provider, the author, and the sustainer of life. Without resting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the grace that he freely lavishes on us. Without contentment in Christ, a pursuit of godliness easily becomes a work works-based righteousness. We try to do enough. We try to be good enough. We try to earn God's love. We try to earn God's approval or salvation. But again, as we read in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, contentment comes through resting in God's grace in our lives, but it does not remain at rest. Godliness doesn't just come from kicking it back and relaxing on the beach our whole life. At least I don't think it does. I've never had the opportunity to try it. Uh, If anybody would like to bless me with the opportunity to do that for a year, I'd, I'd give it a go. Um, but again, we rest, we rest in God's grace in our lives, but it doesn't remain at rest. We see all these action verbs in, in, in this part of first Timothy, we see flee, pursue, fight, take hold, right? So God's grace abounds, creating sufficiency, creating contentment so that we might also then abound in all godliness, abounding in good works. There's a cyclical relationship to these two. Our contentment in Christ produces godliness in our lives, which then leads to a deeper understanding of and rest in the sufficiency of God's grace in every season and circumstance, and it goes on from there. And so that is contentment. I believe this is why Paul puts these two together. So let me put a final bow on this with a final definition. Godliness with contentment is a heart and life devoted to God that rests in and acts out of Christ's all-sufficient grace in every circumstance. We're going to sing one more final song, um, Yes, I Will, about how I will choose to praise. Sometimes sometimes our, our contentment, our joy for the Lord just overflows. We are so full of Christ's grace. We are so full of Christ's joy that it just, we can't help it. And I believe it ought to be that way. But there are definitely times where we are not feeling that surface emotion of happiness. And we tap into the deep contentment. And we choose. Say, God, I'm making a conscious choice today to praise you. I'm going to make a conscious choice today to be content in what you've provided for me and what you've given me. Let me pray first as we finish up. And so, God, we know that we can't do this on our own. That left to our own devices, we are fickle, uh, we are wayward, we are easily tempted by the lies of the enemy uh, to distrust that you will provide. Um, 
easily we forget that you are working in all things, uh, even though we might not see it, we might not feel it. So God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your Holy Spirit that, that applies salvation, that applies truth to our hearts, God, that we might know it. Would you fill us with your word? Uh, would we rest in it? Would we rest in your truth, in your grace? That you would fill us, that we would overflow, uh, that we would take contentment and joy that we would be a balm to a hurting world given to friction, that we, would be, uh, that we would be the peace that only comes from you to those around us. In your name we pray, amen.